radar on the rock I can feel the waters rise I can hear the howling lies that haunt me Fear won't hold me now My feet are on the rock When I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the Oh 
just a great morning. I'm so glad that we're worshiping together. We're just going to continue to worship. Um, we just want to feel his presence here. We want to feel the peace that he gives us when we're with him. you are the giver of peace. You are the prince of peace. 
God, that you give us hope for a future. God, we just thank you for that. Be with us this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and turn and greet each other. Give a wave. Give an elbow bump. I know you guys have already seen this. We also have our ways to give. You guys are giving so faithfully during this time. And um, we just want to encourage you to give in person, mail it in, you can give online. We're just grateful that you're here this morning. We're going to continue and just sing this last song. And um, we encourage you to just, whatever it is that you think you need from the Lord today, just be open to that as we're going to sing about him. I wonder if he's trying to say something to someone this morning. There's maybe some hope that you need in this world right now because this is kind of crazy, everything that's going on. But we just want to, we want to give you that hope. We know that God is here and he wants to give you that hope. So I just encourage you during this song, think of what hope you need. What do you need today? I think as Christians, we're always thinking like, well, the hope in this pandemic is that, you know, more people will come to know him and that's good. Like we definitely want that. We want a turning to him. But I think sometimes individually too, like there's something that we need from the Lord. So think it through. What do you need from the Lord today? What gift of hope are you asking from him today? Because he's here and he wants to give it to you. So we're going to sing this song together and then we're going to take communion and just spend some time with him. Could 
are so good to us, Father. God, what would we do without you? Where would we be, Father? You took away the claim of death and grave from us, God. There's nothing else that you could have done better for us. God, be with us in this moment, Father. There are people here that need some hope today. God, people in this room, people on the live stream, God, like you are the only one that can give us the hope that we need, Father. God, be with us. Give us that hope. Father, I pray that you are giving ideas and thoughts, God, through your Holy Spirit, God, that you're meeting us here. Father, we need you. Bless us during this time, Father, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now is the time to take communion, so go ahead and open your bread and juice and just spend some time with him.
That was really moving stuff. My name is Bob Priest. I'm, uh, I'm filling in for our pastor, Greg Montague, today. He and, and Lori are continuing to care for Lori's dad, Norm, as his, his health has been steadily failing. So I'm trying to think, is it Ohio, Mike, or Indiana? Ohio. So you might continue to pray for their family. It's nice to be with you guys here today. It's a message of hope. And it's something, something I really uh, felt drawn to in the times that we've been going through. I appreciate you being able to come in person very much. I'm grateful for the ones of you that are showing up on our live stream. I'm very grateful as I imagine you are to our elders and to our staff, to our ministry leaders that they found these avenues here at Southwoods that we could continue to meet. We could continue to be involved in worship. I know that's been difficult for many churches around the country, maybe because of technology or financial challenges. Some we're even reading about are being heavily discouraged by their authorities from even meeting. So let's be in prayer about that. But I personally, and I imagine many of you, and that's why you're here, I am personally spurred on to a more godly lifestyle because of the times that I spend here in meeting. That's why I hate to miss it. I'm spurred on in a more godly direction by our church meetings all the time, but especially in difficult times like this, I'm spurred toward God's ways. Hopefully I'm spurred toward God's thoughts, toward those things and away from the anger that kind of resides in me pretty naturally. Don't ask my wife about that, you'll get more than you wanna know. Turns me away from the anxiety that these kind of circumstances can bring about, the impatience maybe that we've experienced at times. And, and to the point for our message this morning, it turns us away from the fear of our current social climate. Fear can be a paralyzing emotion, can't it? But most of us find ways to overcome that fear so we, we can continue functioning in our lives. Uh, some of those ways to overcome fear are healthier than others. As I was thinking of the talk, I went way back. I had a coworker years ago, just deathly afraid to fly. And sometimes we had to fly to some of our clients' work sites. So my buddy always found a way to imbibe in a, a few jolts, a few adult beverages to kind of try to take the edge off so that he'd be okay and be able to manage through takeoff okay. Another coworker's spouse years ago, really, really wanted to go to England with her family, but deathly afraid to fly, particularly over the ocean. So what was her solution? She went to the doctor and she got this great prescription. I don't know what it was, but it conked her out for the whole seven or eight hours that it took to fly over there. Is that what church is in this pandemic time? Are we just attempting to dull our fears, alter our consciousness a little bit so we can pretend there's, there's no danger? And, we, and maybe like the airplane going over the ocean, we can just kind of skim over the top of all this stuff for how, however long it takes. No, it's not what happens in worship. What happens in our spirits in worship is something different. It's not some false sense of bravery. It's not escapism from reality. We're not ostriches sticking our heads in the sand and pretending that there's nothing to fear. Which by the way, I didn't realize this, ostriches don't really stick their heads in the sand anyway. Did you know that? Then they couldn't breathe. Ostriches run. <laughs> they run when they're afraid. That, that's not us. The truth is part of our worship in the presence of a good and powerful and holy God is together we recognize our weaknesses, our needs. We recognize that we cannot escape the risks of our world. We would have to leave the planet to do that. And I know some people are working on that right now, right, in some of the space ventures that are out there, but guess what? They're not gonna escape from risks out there either. They're, they'll have their own new set of risks. 
We, we cannot escape the risks that tend to produce fear in our hearts, but, but can we learn to overcome? You know, a critically important, some might even say essential means to overcoming in the life of a Christian, in the Christian worldview, the way we look at life, is meeting together with fellow believers like this. So good for you. You are essential people here today. By sharing our faith together, the Bible tells us we mutually benefit somehow, that, that we give a gift of faith to each other when we're together like this and when we join in through the live stream and that kind of technology. A large benefit is gained in our hearts when we're together. Another large benefit can be gained as we routinely gather around the Word of God, the Bible. Have you tried that lately? I didn't get to read the whole slide, but what was it called? A, a outside chat or something that some people are doing? That, that, that time around the scripture, have you tried that lately? Just open a Bible with a group of friends and see what kind of truth and encouragement you might receive from God. A wise older gentleman that I met in my 20s, back when my hair was really dark. <laughs> Bill Hans is his name. He's actually in prison ministry up in Nebraska somewhere now. Paul, it's right near where the Cornhuskers are, I think. Uh, once challenged a group of students I was part of to see if we could find anything in the Bible that would tell us why it was written. Why did we have a Bible to read in the first place? So we all went out and searched out, and I'll never forget the passage, the little verse that I found that I think was exactly what Mr. Hans wanted us to find. It's Romans chapter 15, 4. It says this, For every, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we've entitled this Bible message this morning, Encouraged by Hope. Of all things, I'd like to get there by sharing with you the story of a first century shipwreck and the remarkable individuals who survived it. It's a story of extreme crisis. Nearly 300 souls were on board this vessel, staring certain death in the face. They didn't have any reason to have any hope, and yet hope was found. And as we read through this from uh, Acts 27, it's my hope, my hope that we can gain a little bit of the reason behind their ability to have hope, that it will penetrate our hearts, our minds, our souls, as it did theirs in, a, in an extreme crisis. Why don't we stop and bow for a word of prayer before we read, and then we'll give you a little context and we'll jump in. Father, we are thankful for the meeting time this morning, for this time to worship to hear these beautiful songs and these messages from the screen. And now we, we really want to hear from you, God. Give us more uh, power. Give us more peace. We pray that we would learn to trust you more and uh, that we could have the same hope in our lives as we read about a story that you've faithfully preserved for us from, from 2,000 years ago. Bless us now in this time. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So our story is found in the New Testament, uh, book of Acts, chapter 27. I use the NIV a lot at home, and so that's what most of these slides are going to be up here. You're welcome to join in the red Bibles in the chairs, but it will be a little bit different if you do. Chapter 27 is a long chapter, 44 verses. And Bob said I couldn't have all day to talk to you guys. So we're going to take some excerpts and kind of walk through this story. I hope to give you a flavor. But let me recommend for you. In, in the days ahead sometime, take a little time. Open that part of the Bible and read the chapters leading up to Acts 27. Some fascinating information there. And then read the whole story for yourself. I think you'll, get, I think you'll be blessed if you do that. A little into, into the context now, this first ship, there, there's going to be two ships in our story. The first ship set sail from Caesarea. Some of you probably recognize that. It's on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, not too far from Jerusalem. And the first ship that our folks get on that we're going to talk about 
go out of Caesarea, they hang a right, and they start up north along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it's not, as one of my friends asked me last week, it's not a three-hour tour <laughs> that they have planned. We're going to see it's a 1,400-mile journey that's, that they have in mind. Let me fill you in a little bit more. The passenger we have as our main focus is a, is a fellow who's very familiar to most of us that have been around church. It's the Apostle Paul. Tremendous guy. He's also known as Saul of Tarsus. It's not a pleasure cruise for Saul either. He's actually a prisoner. He's in custody unfairly. See, Paul has been somewhat making a nuisance of himself in Jerusalem. He's speaking a new message. He's delivered a public speech about this person, Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And when the people heard what he was saying, some of them didn't like it. When they couldn't overcome his words and his ideas, they chose violence. They chose physical force. And so in the midst of all that, Paul is arrested. He's on trial. And now he's going to head to the capital of the entire Roman Empire. He's going from Jerusalem to Rome by ship. He's going to face the trial before the emperor of the entire Roman Empire. Caesar was his name. Paul is under fire because of his highly effective, highly infectious testimony about Jesus Christ and the new life he offered to any who would follow him. If you haven't encountered this fellow before, there's a whole bunch of him in this book of Acts too that it would be worth getting acquainted with him. You'll notice that there's something very different about this gentleman. He is one of the more intensely committed individuals you will ever encounter in scripture or anywhere in life. He almost single-handedly in the first century sparked the beginning of the Christian faith and he went from city to city starting churches and that was where it all started for us. That's why we're meeting here today. Okay, enough context. He, you probably also know he's a brilliant writer. He wrote about a third of the New Testament. He's a prolific traveler as well, so it's not unusual for him to travel. He, he just didn't plan this particular trip. He's under arrest. So Acts 27, we'll start at the beginning. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. The way these trips would go, they didn't just take a straight line. They kind of worked up along the coastline back then. They hit several stops along the way. At one of these stops, at a place called Myra, which is uh, in, Ly it's in Lycia, present-day Turkey. So if you're drawing a mental map, they've, they're going up the coast, and then it's going to flip to the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where Turkey is, if you know your geography. So they get to Myra on the first part of their journey, and Julius realizes we need a second ship. I need a ship that's going to take us all the way to Italy. So he found a grain ship heading there, and he transferred his prisoners, including Paul, over uh, to that ship. Julius is a significant character as well in our shipwreck story. And, and so you have the right idea about this fellow. He's not just some low-level soldier tasked with, with hurting some prisoners along. A centurion was a highly regarded a very responsible, respected member of the, of the military of that empire. He would carry great weight and people would give him great respect. And even on this trip, even on board ship, where often the, captor is, uh, the captain is the one in charge, this centurion is looked to for a lot of leadership. He's quite a guy. He's got a, we got a glimpse of his character that he's got a kind streak to him because, because he actually helps Paul get some uh, supplies and get equipped for the trip, allows some friends in the town of Sidon to equip him. So you're probably getting tired of all the background. But one more thing, I just, I'm just this kind of nerd, I guess. These grain ships were huge. There are 276 passengers on board. Some of the ancient historians said this was a regular thing this time of year. They were hauling grain from the northern parts of 
Africa all the way up to Rome because they often had food shortages there. Some of the historians tell us these ships could hold up to 600 people. So you can picture the size of what we're talking about here. It was common for them to do this to give the, uh, the areas in Italy food through the winter is what I read. One of them, uh, did I say this out loud already? One of them had 600 people on it. So these are pretty big vessels. Let me continue in verse seven. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. It's a pretty dire warning from this prisoner who's just one of the 276. Why did Paul say, I see disaster coming? What well, may just have been some common sense at the time, Yom Kippur, Kippur is in the uh, September, October timeframe, and it was known that the Mediterranean could become treacherous during that time. So he may have just been saying, this is crazy. You, you don't go out at this time of the year. We should, we should hunker down for the winter. But it might be something more. One of the things we learn about Paul throughout his life and through many for, uh, of many of the leaders of the early Christian church, God was enabling them with remarkable, miraculous powers at times, healing people, raising the dead, and sometimes they were given visions, prophecies about the future. And it very well may be that Paul had had something like this. So this is beyond just a little common sense. This is, hey, this is gonna be a disaster for us. Let's not do it. But his warning is met with skeptical ears. They would soon see that Paul's prophecy of disaster was quite accurate, but listen to how they responded in verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Now this being a grain ship on the way to Italy, a couple, of the, a couple of the folks that I read suggested that what those guys were doing was making a financial decision. Because Italy struggled so to have adequate food supplies in the winter, there were big bonuses for anyone who would dare to take the trip and bring that grain that they so desperately needed. So the centurion, like us, probably wanting to make good time and get his mission accomplished. The owner and the pilot thinking, I'm gonna make my, this will take care of me for months perhaps, I'm gonna make my big bonus. They ignore the wise advice of the most spiritual leader in their presence. Is that like us? When things are going well and our prospects for the the future are so bright, we often ignore the wise spiritual advice, sometimes the warnings of the more spiritual people among us, and we focus instead on what temporal gain we can get right now. Verse 14, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, I grew up in Connecticut, we call them Noisters, right? because they actually get these in New England. They're horrible. They're coming from a direction that storms don't usually come from. Called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along as we passed to the lee of a small island. That's the, the side the wind is not on. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. That's way down in North Africa. They didn't know where they were going. 
They, they lowered the sea anchor. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm, he wrote, that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. There goes that bonus. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They've lost all control, haven't they? They aren't setting their direction anymore. The wind's just pushing them along. They're, they're scrambling to get their lifeboat, hoping they might need that at some point. They're, the integrity of their vessel is at risk. They have, and thankfully, they were prepared for this. They literally are having to, to, to rope, put ropes around the hull to preserve the integrity of this massive ship. They lowered their sea anchor, which as I read about this, these, these things on a ship this size, these were big, massive objects. He said, maybe lead or iron or stone. They found some really big ones as they've gone back in, in history. They jettisoned their cargo. Finally, the ship's tackle, I didn't know what that meant, but it's basically all the equipment and all the uh, movable things around the ship, everything, just trying to make this thing lighter. They did everything they could, but it just felt like they were postponing the inevitable. And then we read verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. There's our word for the day, hope. And they are completely out of it. No sun. No stars, that's what, that's what they use to guide them. They're covered up. Many days in a raging storm and they're, they're just done. They're hopeless. You ever been there in your life? Can't eat, can't sleep, tears come easy. Every ounce of courage had leaked away and they're having to face that reality that this is it for me. I'm gonna be lost at sea. If only they could get to dry land. I thought it was interesting we were singing this morning about Jesus being our solid rock. If, if only we could get our foot on something solid. And where is God? While all this is going on, our hearts often cry out with that question, when things feel out of our control, don't they? And for some reason, God often seems silent. It almost seems like he disappears in those moments for us sometimes. But you know, they were reminded pretty quickly that a representative of God was right there on that ship with them. Paul begins to speak in the middle of all this. I can imagine some of the more skeptical saying, oh, great, this is just what we need, a sermon. It's going to make us all feel, well, something. What we really need, mister, is a miracle. Isn't this hero Jesus of yours, the guy who spoke, peace be still, and waved his hand and a storm stopped? That's what we need, Paul. How about bringing one of those things? In verse 21, this is what he said to them. After they had gone a long time without food, couldn't eat. Paul stood up before them and said, men, you, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. It's really hard not to say I told you so sometimes, isn't it? Don't do that. It's bad, bad, Paul. Verse 22, but now, here comes the good stuff, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. The ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. 
when there was absolutely no logical reason for any hope, Paul speaks words of hope. And that kind of leadership from him is not unusual. You see, his life had often been imperiled for one reason or another, back to his earliest days when he chose to spend his time preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that eternal life could be had by anyone who would follow this Jesus. When friends would come to him and they became aware of dangers that were heading his way, they'd oftentimes say to him, Paul, you need to stay safe. You need to hunker down or you need to go over here right now. It's too dangerous for you. And he often just kept going in the direction he was going. Is he an idiot? No, no. He just, he, he was a realist at a level that most of us have difficulty approaching. He was a person of great faith and specifically faith in God's ability to bless him, to protect him and to carry him through whatever danger might come in order to fulfill the mission that God had revealed was in store for him. Just like he spoke to him in this one, you must stand trial before Caesar. Until Paul's accomplished all that the Lord has for him in his life, he's moving forward with hope. None of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. An angel told me this as part of his sermon. You know, it's interesting how many of us become more accepting of the spiritual and of spiritual words when we're out of options of our own. What allowed a person like Paul to have this overcoming kind of hope in the middle of a crisis? I'd say it kind of begins with a sober recognition of what our limitations are as human beings. There, there are many threats in our world, many risks that we simply cannot outthink. We cannot overcome. We can't slogan our way out of it. As independent as we think we are, as autonomous as we desire to be, the laws of physics and the forces of nature are always in place in our world. How did Paul keep from being overwhelmed and not just kind of shrink back into a mode of self-preservation? How did he persevere in his hope in the face of so many difficulties in his life? Was good friend Peter, another fellow that followed Jesus from the very beginning, captured Paul's philosophy in a really concise way in a passage in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Let me read that to you. I think you'll see what, what I mean. Peter, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, wrote these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what Paul believed too. You see his, his view of life his view of all of reality had been vastly expanded by an encounter he had with Jesus Christ. Life was demonstrated, him, demonstrated to him to be about far more than these 70 or 80 years. And his inheritance was shown to be far more than just whatever our temporary treasures are here in this world. A living hope was bequeathed to Paul. That was his inheritance. At the time of his spiritual rebirth, everything changed. Everything changed in the way he was living. It's like coming out of a dark room was the picture that came to my mind. We have to get our eyes adjusted for a minute, don't we, when we all of a sudden go from darkness to bright sunshine. It was like that for Paul. And once he got his eyes adjusted to this eternal view of life and God's purposes in our world and, and his place in it, everything 
changed for him. That's how he could speak encouraging words. Words of irrational hope, <laughs> irrational hope in the face of imminent death. You know, if you've been around church for a while, my mommy started me when I was around seven. That's kind of a cool story all by itself, what God did to change her direction. If you've been around, you've probably heard an old hymn. It's written in 1834 by Edward Motes. It's a fellow from the UK. And uh, we call it today, my hope is built on nothing less. That probably rings a bell for a lot of us. My hope is built on nothing less. His original title was the, Immutif the Immutable Basis for a Sinner's Hope. So it's a little stuffy. So they, they changed it to, my hope is built on nothing less. Here's one of the stanzas from uh, inside that. It's, it's talking about his connection with Jesus. It says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. The grain ship had a great sea anchor, a massive object it was tethered to. But in the face of that powerful storm, it just wasn't enough. Paul was offering a different kind of anchor. Paul's hope was the kind of anchor that could sustain the passengers he was speaking to. There's another verse in the Bible that talks about this kind of anchor. I love it. It's Hebrews 6:19. This is out of the New Living Translation. It says these words, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain. That's the veil that Mr. Motes was writing about. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. You see, it was Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and then his offer to any one of us that would like it to have that same eternal life within us that filled Paul's heart with hope. He spent the rest of his days, once he got that news, he spent the rest of his days sharing that hope with anyone he encountered, great or small, mighty or weak. That's what Paul wanted to share with people. Will we be those same kind of encouragers people who put that courage into the hearts of others, people who speak words of hope and rescue because of what we've learned about Jesus and what we experience in worship together in this family. You know, Paul's uh, words of hope came to pass. We won't read the rest of it, I'll leave that to you. But that ship found its way not because they were steering it, it's just the way the wind was blowing. It found its way to shallower and shallower water. The sailors could just tell that. They've been on the boat so much, they know the sound when the water's not quite as deep. And then, when they figured they'd be able to just guide it right into something, no, exactly as Paul said, it got stuck on a sandbar and the waves started crashing against it and it just destroyed the thing. They were right off the coast of the island of Malta and all 276 souls survived. Some swam to shore, some had to ride on some de debris, but just as Paul had said, not one was lost, but the ship was destroyed. As we think about a wise approach to try to share words of hope with the people in our life. I wanted to share this last passage with you. It's again from Paul's friend Peter. It's in a little part of that same book, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 18, and it says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Always be prepared to give an answer to who? To the one who asks. <laughs> and why do they ask? Is it because you have all these great argumentary styles? You're a fantastic debater. No, they ask because they can see the goodness of your life. And they can hear words of hope. They want to know the reason for the hope that you have. Are you speaking words of hope into the lives of the people around you? I, I think what Peter and Paul are trying to tell us is that's the starting point. That's the starting point to really share this Jesus that has so benefited our lives with the people around us. If you're living right now in the raging storm, you just feel like, I can't see a light, I can't see any way out of this, you can't see a reason for hope, Jesus offers a new birth into a living hope. It will never go away. It's a hope that will endure. If you choose, as those words said, to revere him as Lord, set him apart as your leader, the leader of your life, he promises to come be present with you. He promises by his spirit to come indwell us, to give us his peace, to stand beside us and give us strength and encouragement. And we can face anything that comes our way with him in our life that way. If you've never responded to Jesus that way before, today is a great day to do that. He's waiting right outside your heart. You can tell him how you feel about him. You can trust him. You can place your faith in him. If you've already come to that point, you feel close to Jesus, you feel drawn to him, you feel, you feel like you can trust him that way, but you haven't followed through, you haven't responded to that in the way the Bible tells us to respond, which is in the, the waters of baptism. It's a funny word, but it just means that you're immersed in water as, an, as a declaration that you are beginning a brand new life. When you come up out of the water, you're starting a new life in a living hope with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that and you would like some help doing that, if you have any other things that our church can be a part of, I know Greg's been announcing this routinely, but they have an email. If you don't get a chance to talk to somebody today, it's pastors at southwoods.org if anyone here can help you in any way. Don't hesitate to ask. Let us be people of hope for you if that's what you're needing. Appreciate your time today, guys. Why don't we stand up, we'll have a closing prayer, and we'll be on our way. Lord Jesus, we are filled with hope because of what you've done for us. We are, we are sorry that you had to do it, but we're really glad that you did. Thanks for this, this heart you have of rescue, that you don't abandon us as, as some in our lives would do. You are always here. Help us to, to be people like you who speak words of hope to others. Pray that you'd be very close to ones who are going through storms right now uh, in their life. Maybe no one else knows about, but you know. I pray that you'd draw near to them. For anyone who needs to turn their heart toward you, help them to open that door today, Lord. Bless Lori and Greg as they serve their family. Bless the leaders around here and all of us to go forth and try to be like Paul was, sharing the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness, with respect, with a clear conscience, God, so that we can truly be people of love. We're thankful for this time. Thank you again for your word. Bless us as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all.